right? We got a lot of different things coming at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F that. You don't got time to say. All right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome in to another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk. I'm Derek Johnson with Nick Springer. Hey, and on today's edition of the show, uh, we are going to talk plenty of KU football. We got our KU UCF notebook. We got our heroes and villains segment coming up. Lance Leipold audio. We also have a uh, Big 12 breakdown and NFL Week 5 recap. Matt Tate is going to join us at 340. Kevin Flaherty is going to join us at 440. Before we get into our KU UCF notebook, we are brought to you by 23rd Street Brewery. And uh, there's some, I guess, possible... Breaking news, or I guess future possible breaking news? Yeah, this is like the classic uh, update on the update. Yes. <laughs> the update on the update is that uh, the Kansas basketball infractions ruling is expected Wednesday, ending, ending the like six-year basically saga that we have been waiting for the NCAA and the IARP to finally come through with a punishment on Kansas. Which, at this point, I will believe that... The, the ruling is expected when it actually happens. Okay? This You're still not a believer? Even no, I'm not a believer. Today? No, I'm not a believer. Not until I actually see the IARP or, you know, whatever, come down and, you know, give their little spiel about whatever's going on. I'm not, I don't want to believe it. I gotta, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wait to believe it till I see it. Yeah. Well, I, I do believe it. I do believe it's going to come out at some point tomorrow. The question for me becomes, will it be in time for the show or will it be after the show? Either way, we will talk about it if it does end up coming down. Yeah. Um, I, I think the expectation a little bit now is that, you know, based on how some of these other cases have, have settled and based on the punishments they've had, based on the punishment that Kansas self-served themselves last year, I'm not expecting much yeah. to come down from Shockingly, this. Shockingly, the NCAA is going to totally fizzle out on this and yeah le- and probably but just lay an egg and have that's it till it officially comes out you know there is that means at least maybe well, a dude, little bit of worry in your mind of course the IARP is milking this because this is their last case they're gonna be they're gonna be shut down Without once they get this ruling yeah. so they don't have a job they're of like course, ah, dude, actually yeah need dude, another it couple makes years. perfect sense yeah. of course they want to delay this as long as possible yeah, um, but that would be absolute disaster if there was like some sort of postseason ban. Not that I'm expecting that. Just uh, be on the lookout for everything. Uh, also, this piece of news from Pete Thamel earlier today. Sources, Kansas quarterback Jalen Daniels is considered doubtful for the game at Oklahoma State this week. He's been dealing with back issues that kept him out of practice on Monday and Tuesday. Veteran backup Jason Mean is expected to start again. Yeah, no surprise there. I mean, kind of like we talked about, I think at this point you just kind of have to operate under the assumption that Jay, that Jason Bean is probably going to be the starter for KU for this next game. And I think kind of the general consensus right now is, I guess we'll see, you have a bye week, so maybe the best chance for Jalen Daniels to come back would be against Oklahoma. But again, I think until Lance Leipold specifically says Jalen Daniels will start, I'm probably just going to assume that Jason... And even and listen, I mean, we saw it. Go back to the Missouri State game. They announced Jalen is a starter on the video board. So it might yeah. not even be until the first snap of the game before you really know if he's going to be starting or not. 
But I think it is safe to assume that probably not. It's not going to be against Oklahoma State, right? I mean, if it was a situation where KU was wanted to be overly cautious and not even have Jalen on the sidelines for the game against UCF, that that would lend credence to the thought that if he can't even be on the sideline, how is he going to be ready to play a game a week later? Mm-hmm. Right. So it is what it is. I think at this point you just roll with Jason being against Oklahoma State. Hope that you can maybe get Jalen back for the Oklahoma game with the bye week and I guess go from there. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe uh, Jalen's going to be out a while. Maybe uh, you end up even taking uh, a red shirt with Jalen Daniels at the end of the year. We're, we're far away from getting I mean, to Lance, that conversation. Lance Leipold though, so. explicitly said that there was no, there has been no thought given to like right. that idea or like we're too far away from it of shutting him down. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, I mean, listen, if you get if he can't play versus Oklahoma and then you get into like the the next stretch of your schedule where you have like Iowa State, Texas Tech, Kansas State, and and it's not looking like he's going to play for any of those games, then I think maybe you start to have a conversation, but. Yeah, I mean, you're at the halfway point in the season. Still, he's he's listen. He's big twelve, big twelve offensive player of the year. So if there's any chance that he can still play, you play him. I mean, he's, yep. I mean, he's, he changes the trajectory of KU pretty significantly. Although we saw with Jason Bean, Kansas can still be pretty damn good. That's right. All right. Well, let's get into the, our KU UCF notebook then. Let's start with the offensive side of the ball. Uh, we talked a little bit yesterday. Dominant running team. You had 399 on the ground. Yet another game that you've had 200 or more. I think the fourth time this year that they've had 200 or more rushing yards. And it's really a combination of of everything. You have obviously great running backs to be able to do it. The offensive line though has been excellent too. And uh, it, it really is a a combo of everything. I mean, Andy Kotelnicki calling plays, uh, motioning things out, maybe catching the defense off guard, like. Everything kind of has to go into this. It's all three levels. It's the blocking from the offensive line. It's the blocking from the tight ends. It's the blocking from the receivers. And right now, they are doing it at an elite level. Yeah, I mean, listen, running the ball, it's not as simple as one guy executing and it's going to work, right? It, it's it really You really do require the O-line. You require your running backs to be able to to make plays and, and you know, make the cuts that they need to make. And when you have... Some dynamic guys like Devin Eal and, and Daniel Hyshaw, and you have an offensive line with KU that is experienced, that has played together, and that certainly has some talent. It makes sense. And, and again, UCS lack of depth at the Power 5 level was certainly exposed, right? I mean, they have some talented guys. They have, some, they have a couple, I think, top 200 recruits on that D-line. But it didn't matter because KU just absolutely wore them down, and the physicality of KU and the physicality of Daniel Hyshaw's running style also, right? I mean, dude, about the 15th time Daniel Hyshaw is coming downhill at you and you're a safety, how many more are you going to keep stepping up to just get steamrolled? I mean, at some point you start making business decisions. Uh, let me ask you a question. Wait, wait, Devin Neal, if, if he goes pro at the end of this season, assuming that, that Daniel Hyshaw and Devin Neal stay on the pace that they're on right now, which is really good, if Devin Neal is pro at the end of the season, we go into next year, are the expectations on Daniel Highshaw next year, would they be to be a all-Big 12 first-team running back? I think they'd have to be. I mean, he's putting up that that good of numbers, right? He's he's proven, he's proven to be that level of runner, and he certainly runs with uh, you know a style that I think people enjoy, right? When you have a guy that runs the ball tough like that, I think that kind of adds to it a little bit more. And you look around the Big 12, and how many other, good, how many other really great running backs are there in the Big 12 that you can guarantee are going to be there next year? I mean, Texas has, uh, I think, Baxter, right? Cedric Baxter is his name. Yeah, he's former, like, five-star. Yeah, yeah, the number one overall running back recruit, I think, uh, who's a freshman this year behind Jonathan Brooks. So he'll be there. Certainly has the talent, obviously. 
Uh, I don't know what uh, the status of Baylor's running back is, if he'll be back. They've got two uh, good ones, too. Yeah, got a couple good ones. Uh, I mean, listen, UCF with Johnny Richardson and, and Harvey, two, two decent running backs, if those guys will be back. So there, there will be a lot of competition, I think, for that title. But, I mean, how could if, – if Daniel Hyshaw is in the conversation, the, for if sure. he's the number one running back for Kansas next year with, with Devin Neal off in the NFL, I mean, the expectation is that he's going to run for over 1,000 yards, mm-hmm. probably pretty easily. Yeah. Right? So I, I think uh, furthering this conversation on the offense, because of the way that you ran the football, it, I, it's obviously not that you have to run the football exactly like that every game. You can't expect to have 400 yards rushing every game. But if you can make it so that Jason Mean just has to be a glorified game manager, that he's a game manager plus that can make some key plays, that can make some uh, throws downfield, that can you know have a few big scrambles for you, but for the most part, your bread and butter is the running game and, and playing solid defense – that's how this team can still win eight or nine games with Jason Bean. Easily. Yeah, easily. Uh, because Jason Bean is a guy that we know has the capability to make big plays, right? I mean, he has shown that he can do that. The thing the thing with Jason Bean that we've talked about is, is just that the inconsistency is, is there at times, and he doesn't always make the best decisions. Well, if you just limit that by having a really, really high-level running game that you can rely on in, in situations where you don't have to lean on Jason Bean to make big plays that much. Now... The key here is kind of the second part that you brought up, which is the defense, obviously. Like, they have to – the thing The thing with KU, I mean, you look at the games where Jason Bean put up big numbers, a lot of times it was because KU was forced to pass the ball a lot or yep. utilize him a lot because they were down in the game, right? Oklahoma, Texas Tech. I mean, those are two games that come to mind immediately. Uh, and even the TCU game to a certain extent, mm-hmm. right? Because it was kind of a back-and-forth game. Baylor, so, yeah. Yeah, ba- uh, Baylor, yeah, exactly. So – the the key there is yes you have that running game and then you go to the, you look at the defense if they can hold up their end of the bargain and, and yeah I mean Jason Bean has obviously received a lot of high praise for being one of the best backups potentially in the country and he can show that but even still regardless of how good you are as a backup you you have to have other areas of your team step up and that's what we saw in the UCF game. Now the question becomes, can that continue? Can KU continue to dominate the line of scrimmage like that? Can Devin Neal and Daniel Highshaw continue to have that level of success going forward against I hate to I hate to say the I hate to use the phrase legitimate Big Twelve opponents, but I'm going to here. Against mm-hmm. legitimate Big Twelve opponents. So not UCF, not Cincinnati. Show it against Oklahoma State. Show it against Texas Tech. Show it against Iowa State. And that to me will make it even more impressive. Yeah, and I wonder how much uh, the game you had is going to force Oklahoma State this Saturday to put extra attention to stopping the run. In addition to what happened last year, Devin Neal you know, going for like 300 total yards. And maybe that'll open up the passing game a little bit more. Maybe this is a game where KU zigs when Oklahoma State's expecting a zag. Uh, Lawrence Arnold had his first touchdown, so that was cool to see. Maybe he keeps up that momentum. Luke Grimm, even though hasn't had a lot of opportunity, yeah. has, you know, I mean, I think his last three games, he has like five catches and two of them are touchdowns and, and another two of them are like big highlight plays. So, uh, well, let me ask you this. Yeah. When's the last time? Something, a, uh, uh, a vintage Andy Kolnicki play was drawn up for a Jared Casey, for a Tory Lachlan. Do you think this is the game? Kind of been a few games, has yeah. it not? I mean, I don't even think Tory Lachlan was he, I don't even think he really played at all in the UCF game. I'm sure there were some stats so, or snaps that we didn't notice. But yeah, yeah, it, it so hasn't been super noticeable. Those are guys that are generally players you look to for those Andy Kolnicki style of, uh, of trick plays. So... 
I don't know, man. I'm not. I'm not saying it will happen, but I would say be on the lookout for for those guys and for plays like that potentially uh, against Oklahoma State. All right, to the defensive side of the ball, unbelievable. One other thing I just oh, want yeah. to bring up on the offense. Mm-hmm. 0 of 8 on third down against Texas, 6 of 9 on third down against UCF. Yeah, they figured it out. Uh, so defensively, great first half, really great full game. Was, was that the best performance by KU defense of the Lance Leipold era and of the season? Uh, Okay, so against FBS opponents. Yes. Iowa State last year obviously has got to be up there, but that offense. But this was UCF bad. offense that makes offense that bad. Iowa State offense, <laughs> yes, look like really? a high school offense. That yeah. offense was really bad. Uh, you go back to 2020 and like 2021. Gosh, I don't even. I mean, was there any? Was there even any notable defensive performances? I don't even. I can't. I Not doubt really. it. I doubt it. So you got the Iowa State game last year. You got. Would you be willing to throw in BYU because of the two defensive turns? Yes. Two defensive touchdowns. Yes. Even though they gave up, I mean, and and also only nine yards rushing for BYU. Mm-hmm. But I don't know, man. Like, it's hard for me to say that was the best defensive performance, right? I think it's this one. I think it's I think UCF. It's, I think I think it's UCF too. Mm-hmm. I think given the circumstances, given the explosiveness of the offense for UCF, and obviously things change with their quarterback. But like we highlighted, it's not like they were bringing in a guy who hadn't been playing. Tim McLean had started their last multiple games. So they, you know, it wasn't like they were totally hamstrung by that situation. No, I'm pretty sure Timmy McLean, I was just looking the other day, he's like second in the Big 12 right now in passer efficiency. So uh, that's, uh, I found to be uh, kind of interesting there. And to me, the difference was it was about the tackling. You go back to the Texas game, it's your worst tackling game of the year. You give up your most points in a game this year. Then you have the UCF game. It was your best tackling game of the year. Isn't and that funny uh, how the, the tackling correlates? Tackling does matter. Who would have thought? Now, obviously, it's harder. It's easier said than done against Texas because they have elite yeah. athletes and they make you miss. But guess what? UCF has really good athletes on the outside too. They have really good skill players too, and uh, you did a good job avoiding making them make you miss. Um, so that was really impressively. Was and, and I think what there. adds to how impressive this performance was, it wasn't just a game where you know you, you gave up twenty two points because UCF had five turnovers or they missed like in the Iowa oh, yeah. State game because they missed Iowa three State, field goals, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah, it's Matt, be- they, they Matt Campbell. The you team. only forced one turnover. It was the end of the first half. Outside of that, like, you were pretty rock solid uh, defense, or I guess including that, you were really rock solid defensively that you didn't need a bunch of turnovers to kind of carry the way. And, and I think that speaks a little bit more to staying power. Yeah. Uh, because that, that basically tells you that you don't have to be a turnover riddled team to be successful, oh, which is right. a good thing to be because you're not going to be able to count on turnovers each and every week. I mean, you think about past iterations of the KU defense, and it was. Yeah, the, the the conversation was basically get two or three turnovers and it might be a good defensive game. Well, we saw here, K doesn't necessarily have to do that, right? They can they can just be a stout defensive team, and beyond that, you get a couple turnovers and it's even better. But you're not relying on turnovers to be like the defining trait of what makes what what makes you have a good defensive game. Right. By the way, Austin Booker, absolute star. Uh, I think right now he would have to be probably first-team All-Big 12. He already has five sacks this year. I mean, he's putting up ridiculous numbers. Um, We're going to get to this later this week in our Fun with Numbers segment, but uh, you might be surprised, because I certainly was, with where KU ranks in the Big 12 in in sacks right now, and Austin Booker is a big reason why. Yeah. Um, But, I mean, just the rotation you have at defensive end. Like, 
Jeremy Robinson's still good, even though right now he's dealing with injury, and we'll see how that affects it. Hayden Hatcher, still rotation guy, but again, he's dealing with injury. So that could make you a little bit thinner at this position this weekend. But still, um, to have Patrick Joyner, he had a team best four pressures yeah. against UCF on Saturday. So, like, you're getting contributions from a little bit of everyone. That's so important for your depth. That's so important as the season goes on. And I think they're showing that right now. Yeah, and again, listen, it was no Lonnie Phelps. The discussion was, all right, are you going to have another guy become Lonnie Phelps or are you going to have to rely on more of a group situation? Or option C, both. <laughs> you got Austin Booker put up great numbers. And you have the rest of the group performing well also. Win-win. Yeah, it really is a win-win. And uh, I also want to make mention on the defensive side here to to Taiwan Berryhill. He was second on the team in pro football focus grade. He led the team in tackles for the game against UCF. Uh, We talked a little bit about that linebacker position in Taiwan Berryhill that, you know, we kind of said that um, it was clear Berryhill was working through injuries. He he missed some time earlier this year. And that in the Texas game, he really did struggle. I think he had KU's worst pro football focus grade of any defender in the Texas game. And and I don't think it's because he was a bad defender. I think he was just playing through injury. Well, it looked like he was back to being right against yeah. UCF. And you yeah. saw the impact of having yet another linebacker you can trust. We went from, in 2021, being like, I don't know if you can trust any of the linebackers, to then 2022 being like, ah, maybe you can trust, like, maybe this guy. Like, maybe half of that guy. Um, and then now this year, it's like, okay, maybe you trust, like, three, four, or five guys yeah. in the linebacker group. Yeah, I mean, obviously, Rich Miller... I guess if you want to throw Craig Young in that group, also you can. Uh, J.B. Brown, and now if Tywan Berryhill is coming along and getting healthier, you can add him to that list. And then I think you can trust Cornell Wheeler for his role right now, right? I mean, he's carving himself out a nice role and, and is and is performing well, uh, and that's great. And then, again, you throw in Tywan Berryhill. If, and I don't think there's ever been a question of maybe the, the athleticism or skill set for Berryhill, but it's been about – in this season at least, staying healthy and, and more of an execution thing last season, I felt like, of being in the right spot and, and making the right decisions, you know, to put yourself in the right spot to make the play. This year it's been more of a health thing, and, and you know, if he if he gets healthy and he's and he's rolling, I mean, again, that's just another guy you can add to that room that uh, you feel, feel pretty good about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, other on the notebook here, I think special teams worth bringing up. I mean, outside of the blocked PAT that – Got taken back for two in the the missed short field goal. That was an elite special teams game. Uh, yes, the great return. Outside yeah. of that, yeah. Going back to yesterday, would you care to comment neutral. again on uh, them actually returning stuff? Like you always say, don't return, <laughs> don't return punts, uh, don't return kicks. Yeah, well, okay. If you actually watch the Trevor Wilson play, okay, it's the classic case of no, 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 yes, because he catches it with a dude like. Literally bearing down on him, right on him, and he's able to at least get away from him, and then that sets up the rest of the return. So it's it's a classic case of no, 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 yes. Uh, so my my position on returning punts and kicks is honestly still kind of the same. I would say, don't do it unless you have a you feel like you have that, a clear that video, opportunity. The, to, the crowd noise that that no, is one I of know. the coolest moments of the season so far. No, I I understand. And I understand. you would be taking that away. No, I understand. For what I feel, listen. I'll say this. I feel much more strongly about my no uh, kick and punt returns policy towards the Chiefs than I do about KU. So I'm leaving the door open for KU to, to do it. But but with KU, I also feel strongly about it, though, because the reason I feel more strongly about it with KU is because college punters suck, and they always punt touchbacks. And that's great. Okay. So, I don't know. My policy is largely the same, though. 
All right. Well, uh, my only other thought was uh, I'm glad they won the UCF game because otherwise, if you lose that game, imagine what we would have been coming in here like, not just because you would have lost your second straight game. They would have been bad. It would have been it would have been a lot of questions about, well, how good is this team? Because with Illinois losing on Friday night to Nebraska um, after a week after, after they got blown out by Purdue, yeah. then it was like, okay, Illinois is 2-4. and four. Nevada is ranked 128th in the country on ESPN SP+. Missouri um, State, I think, is is Owen whatever in the FCS. BYU's BYU's fine. been pretty fine. Yeah, That's they pretty, have. That was a good win. Um, but UCF right now is ranked 34th on ESPN SP+, so that's your best win of the season so far. It just it, it gives you that resume win. It makes you feel like because you didn't just beat a team ranked thirty fourth, you crushed a team ranked thirty fourth. Yeah. That it's it's more proof when you stack that on with the BYU win, who is another quality win. Like I would figure between BYU and UCF, I kind of feel like both are going to make bowl games. If not, you figure at least one will make bowl games. Yeah. Um, it makes you do feel. It makes you feel a little. Uh, I guess vindicated that Kansas. And is even good. if you do want to say, well. The new Big 12 teams, they haven't beat anybody from the old Big 12. They're 1-8, and eight and they only win BYU against, against Cincinnati, so it doesn't really count. Well, okay, look at those four new additions to the Big 12. Who are the top two of those four? BYU, BYU and UCF. <laughs> BYU and UCF. Yeah. Who are the bottom two? Houston and Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. So KU's beaten the better of the uh, half of yeah. the newcomers to the Big 12. Well, also from the UCF perspective, uh, the Baylor loss, yeah, that was bad, especially how they blew it. I, I think they probably showed over the course of the game they're probably a better team than Baylor. They just lost, like, overall. <laughs> and, you know, BYU, I think, is going to be, like, an upper half team in the Big 12. UCF still like might, might be, you know? Yeah. So I, I think yeah, it's I a little know. bit of indication, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, All right. yeah but obviously, the, just one other thing. The other thing I'll say about the fact that if you if you lose the game against UCF is again then we you come in here after Oklahoma State beats Kansas State on Friday night then you're coming in thinking oh boy KU's going to go to Stillwater and, and probably not be able to win I don't know and then you suddenly you're looking at three straight losses in four and three and you know not looking good with Oklahoma after that now it's all good yeah, it it's is. All it's good, all baby. good, man. Stop and smell the roses. <laughs> all right, Matt Tate joins us in less than 15 minutes. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. You're listening to Rock Truck Sports Talk on KLWN or the KLWN app, KLWN.com. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. Welcome back in. We're joined now by Matt Tate of R1S1Sports.com. KU takes down UCF 51-22 to on Saturday. And we were talking earlier in the show, Matt, if that was the best defensive performance of the Lance Leipold era. We, we kind of settled around that the answer was yes, uh, especially when you consider who the offense was. But what about overall? Was that the best overall performance you've seen from a KU football team since, I don't know, win? Yeah, I, you know it's funny as you, you said that, and I was as I was writing after that game, I, I kept feeling that way. I kept thinking, man, like just what was it a couple weeks ago that Lance said, you know, that was the best we've been physically since we've been here, um, and, and that was that was you know just purely talking about hitting and and attacking and and you know being the the instigator with the physicality. I, I don't remember who that was against, but. Um, but you know, that, that jumped out to me too. Maybe the best, most physical half or something he said. But then as I was sitting there the other day, I was like, man, this was a really good football game. They dominated. They were never, they were never in question. They, they, they played hard. They looked good. They, they made very few mistakes. I mean, I was listening to you guys yesterday and, and when you, when you asked the question, you know, about what, what, were there any negatives? 
and neither one of you could come up with anything really. It was like, well, there you go. Like that, that, I mean, I, I couldn't wait to jump on today to, to just mention to you how significant that little segment of your show was because like, that's pretty telling right there too. I mean, it's very easy, even when, uh, you know, even when the chiefs play, right, you, you can always find something that didn't go right or something they didn't do well. And, and for you guys to struggle and, and all of us to struggle to come up with one obvious thing. And I, I think special teams ended up being right. You know, they missed a field goal and that, that could hurt you down the road, but, but man, to, to even be entertaining that question and having it be such a difficult thing to answer is, is, is really telling about where this program is. Um, and, and as you guys pointed out yesterday too, like the, the, it's not like UCF just some chump team. I mean, they're a team that has scored points. They're a team whose offense has looked good and given people problems. They're, they're a team that has a decent defense. I mean, the, you know, the, that's a good football team. And Kansas made them look the way other teams used to make Kansas look. Yeah, no, that's honestly the biggest compliment that you could probably give Kansas right there, that they used to make them look like Kansas used to look. Uh, it was right. obviously uh, a return for Tony Sands to Memorial Stadium on Saturday. Devin Neal, Daniel Highshaw, both having great seasons. And uh, we, we've talked a little bit about this over the course of the season, but I don't know, you, you've covered a lot of KU football. So uh, I, when you think of the great running back duos, of KU football history. Uh, there was a stack going around with June Henley and LT Levine. We, I don't know, James Sims and Tony Pearson, maybe even New Age, Puka Williams, Khalil Herbert, some other great ones. Or, or just when you think of the great running backs all the time, I mean, uh, Kansas has had some unbelievable running backs from Gale Sayers to John Reagans to, you know, whether it's Tony Sands, June Henley, whoever. In regards to like Devin Neal or that duo with Neal and Highshaw, uh, have you thought about it all? Like, if, if they keep the pace that they're on right now, where they're going to kind of be viewed in the pantheon of those great KU running backs? Yeah, I have with Devin. Um, partly because he's a Lawrence kid, and, and you know that means a little more, of course. Um, and, and then partly just because earlier this season you started seeing some of his his numbers show up on on KU's all time list, right? And and he's still got another year if he wants it. So, um, I, you know, he he regardless of how any of it goes from here, Devin Neal should be viewed when it's all said and done as a, as a top five running back to ever play at Kansas. Um, I don't know where his stats will finish. Uh, I think they'll be in that conversation. They'll be close, but even if they're not, you know, even if he's eighth or seventh or whatever it is, um, what he's done, you know, has been as meaningful and as impactful as, as, what anybody's done um, in, in a very real way. I mean, he could have gone anywhere else in the country almost and played football. He chose to stay here. He did it because he wanted to, to do exactly what he's done, and that's, you know, be a part of building something special. And, and this thing is special right now, and he's a huge part of it. So you have to take the stats, and, and they, they are a factor when you're determining, you know, all-time greats and things like that. But I think there's – that intangible category that also factors into that conversation. And um, for my money, man, Devin Neal's going to have the intangible category locked up. I mean, it's going to be an A-plus for him because, again, he, he could have gone anywhere, and he chose to come here not knowing what was going to happen for sure. And, and, and really, it's even more remarkable when you think about the fact that, that he committed to Kansas and, and left Miles, right? And then, you know, that wasn't even his football coach. So I, I think that that's, that's a, I think I'm right on that. I, I, I'm pretty sure that's Yeah, that. no, so, it, it's right. And then he stayed committed. Yeah. Cor- 
so so you know that <laughs> I just think that that I think that shows you right. It wasn't it wasn't picking a coach. It wasn't picking a a, a system. It wasn't picking an offense. It was picking a place. And and he picked Kansas and, and and wanted to stay home for this reason. And he's delivering, and he's a huge part of it. So his numbers will be great. And especially if he's around next year, which you know, I, I throw throw the coin in the air on that one. I mean, I I think uh, I, I know his goals are are the NFL, and I know he's um, on the radar. No question about that. But hopefully he'll make the right decision um, to go at the right time, whenever the right time is. And and uh, if if that means he sticks around another year, then his numbers are going to be crazy good. If that means this is it for him, his numbers are going to be pretty damn good, and he's going to have all those other things. So yeah, I, I think I've thought about that a lot with Devin here lately, especially, and. I think we'd be saying very similar things about Hyshaw if, if not for the injuries. Uh, their one-two punch when they've been together and healthy is as good as we've seen maybe here um, at Kansas. And so only the injuries have robbed us of that for, for the past few years. Um, but, you know, I remember when Hyshaw was a freshman and uh, – you know, some of the coaches that I'd see over the summer would say, you know, gosh, they couldn't even pronounce his name right. They didn't know. Like, this Heshaw kid, you know, this, 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 he's a monster. He's, he's, he's unbelievable. And that was as a freshman coming out of Moore, Oklahoma. That's how he played down there. This is the kind of back he was. He just likes to physically punish people, and he's continuing to do that here. He's done it very well when he's healthy, and obviously that, that injury thing has been the only thing that's been a negative for him. But, I mean, those two are as good as it gets. They're great together. Lance talked after the game about how they complement each other and how they understand what that means better than ever. I mean, there's just so much to like about about them as a as a duo. And on top of that, man, they're both really, really good dudes. Um, and, and maybe that falls in that intangible category too. But I, I man, I don't know that I've ever met anybody as as, as impressive as Devin Neal. Um, all the way back to high school, um, you know, so respectful, so so generous with his time, so kind, so polite, so friendly, all those things. I mean, just a, just a great young man, and it's so cool for that reason to see him having such success, not only because he's, he's a good person, but, you know, it, like I said, I, I went to Lawrence High School. I grew up here myself. I mean, it's really cool to see a kid like that um, who, who's in that same boat represent the city and himself and his family and everybody that knows him so well it's 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 phenomenal so yeah i think i don't think any of that conversation any of that talk about them being two of the greats is is uh over the top at all i think they both belong and are deserving and and there's still a lot of football to play for both of them talking with matt tate r1s1sports.com here on rock chalk sports talk ku takes on oklahoma state on saturday a game that you know, prior to last week, it almost felt like Oklahoma State having this down season, and then all of a sudden they get a win over Kansas State. Uh, what are kind of your thoughts on on this one and how winnable of a game it is, how important this game is for uh, KU in, in reaching all the goals that, that they want to get to by the end of the season? Yeah, well, it's huge. Um, it, it's really cool that, that they have a chance two years in a row to, to uh, beat Oklahoma State to become bowl eligible. I think that's um, that's pretty remarkable. Uh, now they got to go do it, and it's it's much easier said than done for sure. Um, but I think that's pretty fun, and I, I like their chances this week. I mean, I, I'm still trying to figure out, and I'm I'm not making a ton of progress in this, but I'm still trying to figure out if last Friday night said more about Oklahoma State or more about Kansas State. Um, I've got a lot of K State friends, and 
they were really disappointed with that game and, and the way it unfolded and some of the coaching decisions and things like that. So I'm leaning toward maybe that told us more about K-State. And if that's the case, that's nothing but good news for Kansas because then this game is still winnable. Of course, it doesn't mean like Oklahoma State's a top-five team all of a sudden, right? And, and then on top of it, it makes you think, okay, now that Kansas State game in November – Boy, that looks a little more winnable now too, and and I think it's looked winnable all year, really. Um, I, I I think it could be you know one of the better games we've seen in the rivalry in a long time. So uh, we're getting ahead of ourselves a little bit there, but I, I think that's what I've I've kind of decided is is the result of what happened on Friday night. So you know, for my money, there's there's I, I just don't know if there's another game on the schedule that Kansas can't win. I mean, you know, I, I didn't think they would win at Texas. I'd love to see what would have happened with Jalen Daniels there, but that one's over. So um, Oklahoma coming in, yeah, that's 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 an easy one to point to and say, hey, it doesn't doesn't look like KU can be the top five team, probably right. But it's at home, it's after a bye week. I'm not writing that off at all. In fact, I picked it in my in my in my preseason picks. So um, I think Oklahoma's a little better than a lot of people thought. Certainly better than I thought. But at home. I don't see any reason that Kansas can't show up and, and, and win that game. But in order to do that, you got to get this one. You know, the, the, the momentum has to stay on your side. They did a phenomenal job of bouncing back against UCF after the loss to Texas. That's, that's, that's high-level bounce-back stuff, and bouncing back's not always easy to do. Um, but, you know, you can't lose this game and then go into a bye week and then expect to have the momentum when you come out of your bye week against the top five team in the country. I, I just think this that's what makes this one so important. Of course, it's for bowl eligibility, and any time you get a chance to, to crack that thing, you, you want to take it and you want to get it, and you don't want to leave it to chance that maybe you'll get it on the next try. Um, so so th- that makes it big enough. But I think just from a momentum standpoint, look, right, like if they win Saturday at, at Stillwater, the first time since 95 I think I saw the other day, like that's significant stuff. And I've been down there for a lot of, you know, 63 to 7 losses where Kansas just did not look like they even belonged on the same field or in the same state. And so that alone is still part of what this thing is doing right now. They're still building through those sorts of moments and and milestones. And so if they get that one and they come home 6-1 and and go into the bye week and get a chance to get healthy and all those things, I mean, they're going to have to bring in temporary bleachers for the Oklahoma game. They're not going to have to worry about, is that one going to sell out? They're going to have to bring in, you know, additional bleachers to fill the corners like they used to do at Iowa State. You know, I mean, it's just the momentum will be as big as maybe we've ever seen it, and the opportunity, therefore, will be as big as we've ever seen it, too. And, and uh, you know, my God, man, I mean – if Kansas could somehow find a way to win that game, then you're talking about Big 12 championship aspirations being a reality and and really having a chance to play to go to Arlington as as one of those two teams. So um, the next few weeks are huge. I think they lay out great for KU. I don't know that I'm picking them to beat OU. We'll get there when we get there. But I, I think that they have a really golden chance to set up something that looks really, really cool in a lot of ways. Uh, by going down there and winning this week. But, you know, won't be easy. Mike Gundy's a great coach. Um, they're certainly not rolling, and, 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 and things aren't exactly what we've 
sort of become used to seeing um, from Oklahoma State. But they'll show up. They'll be ready to compete. And, and look, they remember getting their butts kicked by KU last year, too, and, and by Jason Bean. So they'll be ready, and, and it should be a heck of a football game. Let's assume that Jason Bean is going to get the start uh, again in Stillwater against uh, against Oklahoma State. You look at how the game plan they had for UCF to really dominate with the ground game. I just wondered, do you think that type of game plan is replicable for Kansas? Do you think they'll be able to go in and utilize the run game again, or do you think that Jason Bean might have to do a little bit more going forward than maybe he did against UCF? Yeah, I, I think I think he's going to have to do more. I, I think it was great that they recognized in that game that the UCF game that they didn't have to do more. But Lance talked a little bit a bit, bit about that on Monday, saying you know like we didn't throw it because we didn't have to, but we know we're going to need to, and and frankly we want to. We want more balance, and and you've heard him talk about balance from the minute they got here. I mean they they want to be you know as non predictable as possible. Um, their line is really good, and those backs, as we've already talked about today, are really, really good. But teams start keying on that, and it gets a lot harder. So th- they've got to um, find a way to open some things up in the passing game or, or the QB run game or whatever it is just to take some of the pressure off of those guys, especially off the O-line, man. I mean, like, uh, you know, you've seen Daniel Highshaw run through anything that stands in his way, and, and you know Devin can be shifty and, and – you know, has the the moves to to get out of trouble and things like that, and get vertical. So, I'm not worried as much about those guys. But but when when it's keyed up, the eight in the box, and and the O line has to try to create space and holes and things like that against that look, it's much harder. So, I think you'll I think you'll see Bean um, tested a little bit more this week. I think you'll see him you know, ask to throw the ball a little bit more. And, 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 you know, you don't have to do it much to loosen things up. I mean, you hit one pass to the tight end down the seam, that does it. Um, you, you do some pre-snap motion stuff where you hit Luke Graham in the flat a couple of times on a, on a motion pass out of the backfield even or whatever the heck it is. You know, that, that kind of stuff loosens it up just enough. And then you can get back to doing the the pound game like you like to do. So I think you'll see a more balanced team, and I think part of that's because that's what Kansas wants. Part of that's because I think Oklahoma State's going to force that. And and so we'll see. Uh, it'll be a great test for Bean again if he's the starter, and and um, I, I think there's every reason to expect he will be. And and again, this is that luxury that they have. I mean, there are a lot of teams that are in a lot worse trouble than Kansas when they go to their backup. So. To have Jason Bean in there in that position is is pretty remarkable, and, and it's it's a great story about him, and and it's a it's a great it's a great story for the whole program, man. I mean, you'll you'll get a shot here, there's no doubt, and and um, he's proven that. He is Matt Tate, R1S1Sports.com. Uh, Matt, I appreciate the time as always. Anything for people to check out on uh, on your website? Yeah, I uh, you know we've got one of, one of the things I'm most proud of with this site right now is is we're touching on everything, man. We've got a ton of volleyball, soccer, cross country. There's a lot of cool stories. Uh, I'm working on a golf story. KU just had a, a women's golfer win her first collegiate title and set a program record in doing so. So, you know, little, little things like that, that maybe don't get the notoriety as much as the big stuff. Obviously we're at all of these big games and big events and, and we cover that in a different way too. But um, I, I love having all those other sports represented and, and there's a really cool story on there now that's, um, men's basketball, but it, it's uh, it's it's relating to walk on uh, manager turned walk on Patrick Cassidy and sort of a, a 
year-long promise that he made good on at late night. So that's there now, and, and it was a really fun story to write. I've, I've been telling a lot of people this a lot um, lately. I, I think this fall has been the, the new site's fun. It's exciting. It's different. It's something, something fresh. And I, already this fall, I've probably written five or six of the things I've been most proud of and enjoyed the most in my entire career. So that's that's been pretty cool, and there's a lot of stuff up. So um, and and not just for me, we've got a great group of freelancers that are doing some cool stuff too, and uh, featuring some of those other athletes. So I appreciate you asking, but yeah, if nothing else, man, check out the Patrick Cassidy stuff and. And uh, I also talked to Trevor Wilson in depth about his uh, his punt return, which was pretty incredible. Uh, I just saw today on Twitter he got up to like 20.5 miles per hour on that run. So, um, you know, basically it's a good story because he and I are so similar. We can relate. We both can run <laughs> at 20 miles an yeah, hour. Yeah, get that so. treadmill up. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. I'd die. I would absolutely <laughs> die. So uh, don't read it for, for any thoughts about me. Just check it out for Trevor and, and uh, what a cool moment that was for him and the whole team. They're, they're a good football team, and they're rolling, and it's really cool to watch, and every one of those guys deserves so much credit. It's, it's still mind-blowing that they've got this thing turned so thoroughly, so quickly. So we'll see if it continues this week. All right. Well, Matt Tate, R1S1Sports.com. Matt, I appreciate the time as always, man. Have a great rest of your week. All right, you guys too. Thanks a lot. All right, one hour down, two to go. We got a uh, NFL Week 5 recap next. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Four o'clock hour, this is RCST on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to be joined by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports coming up at 440 later on in the show. We've also got our KU Football Heroes and Villains segment coming up in the 5 o'clock hour and a Big 12 breakdown coming up. Before we get to that, NFL Week 5 officially in the books after Monday Night Football last night. It is our NFL Week 5 recap. Uh, First up, our little... uh, I don't know. Topic. Biggest surprise. What was your biggest surprise in week five? Mm, I think the biggest surprise was, honestly, probably the Steelers. Mm. I did not think they were going to beat the Ravens or that that game was. I thought it was going to be Ravens like pretty handily. Uh, I was not a believer in Kenny Pickett. Dude, you know what's terrible? Mm. Mainly I'm just mad, actually. I had the Steelers defense and George Pickens on my fantasy team. And I benched them both because they're playing the Ravens, and I was like, "Dude, it's gonna be there's there's not gonna have there's they're not gonna have a lot of points." Like you know, George P- Kenny Pickett sucks, and lo and behold, what happens? George Pickens has a game-winning touchdown. The Steelers defense has a bajillion <laughs> sacks and points, and it's just oh, I was sick. I was disgusted. Uh, another another candidate I would say out there is I I thought the Niners would win against the Cowboys, and I even maybe thought that they would win like kind of easily. I did not expect it to be just a complete demolition. I mean, that's what that was. That was bad. Brock Purdy is him, by the way. He is. I think he's, you know, yesterday we were like, who's better? Brock Purdy, Lamar Jackson. We were like, it's Lamar. Maybe it warrants a conversation. Uh, I am ready. The more that I think about it, Brock Purdy's better. I still think the Cowboys should trade for Kirk Cousins. Okay. Well, that's, anyway, back to another thing. Uh, (laughs) So, my biggest surprise Oh, can we go back to Thursday? The Bears blowing yeah. out the the Commanders? No, that, I, that was that, certainly a surprise. I think that's something that would have been a much bigger story if it happened on Sunday. Agreed. I, I honestly believe that. Well, now it's like it's a little bit more muddled with trying to figure out who the worst team in the NFL is. Maybe it's the Panthers, and, and we'll get to our top three, bottom three. But that was a surprise. Um, honestly, I'm just very surprised that the Colts ended up paying Jonathan Taylor. Why? Yeah. Why, if they were going to pay him all along, 
Did they make the designation to put him on the whatever PUP list or whatever it's called for four weeks when he was actually healthy enough to play? I don't know. And then go basically rake him through the mud to be like, nah, we're going to actually pay you. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a bit strange. It, it's The whole situation seems to have been handled poorly at every turn, seemingly, by the Colts. If this was their out, if this was their plan all along, mm-hmm. right? Which makes you think that maybe it wasn't their plan all along that they maybe didn't want to sign Jonathan Taylor, and then they just like kind of came around to it. But that is even worse, I almost think, because that shows that you're as an organization you had a lot of indecision about the direction you wanted to go, and if you have indecision about something like that, that's bad. You don't. Yes. You don't. You need you. You need your organization, your coach, your GM, your owner, everybody. You need those, particularly those three people, to be on a similar page or the same page in terms of whatever their vision is for the long term. And if you have an issue like this where you're flip flopping on what to do with a star running back, that to me tells that tells me that behind closed doors, those guys are not on the same page of yeah. what they want. So that was a surprise, and then Zach Moss going for almost 200 yards is a surprise. But Honestly, it doesn't matter because the Colts are three and two. So. You know, you know what else was a huge surprise? Uh, the Patriots getting demolished for a second straight week after the yeah. performance they had against the Cowboys. You thought they would come out fighting, and even if they lost to the Saints, it'd be like, okay, well, Saints are fine team, like whatever. It's just hard to envision a Bill Belichick coach team just rolling over. Well, and, and going back to the idea of the Bears winning maybe muddles up who some of the worst teams in the NFL are. Now the Patriots are being lobbed in that discussion, which feels weird. Yeah. Anytime you have Bill Belichick being like, yep, he's coaching one of the worst teams in football. (laughs) You know? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, it's it's interesting because even even in the post-Brady era of New England, like, they've still been a competent team. Not anymore. Not right now. You can't be a competent team and lose by 70 points in back-to-back weeks. No, you cannot. Combined. Yeah. Uh, okay, on to our next little bit here. Who is the biggest disappointment? Yeah, kind of going back to your your thing with the Bears. Is it the Commanders, man? Because like, mm. dude, they played or no, they got. I guess they got blown up by the Bills, but they went to overtime right against the Eagles. So it's like, okay, this is a, maybe a, a a decent team. And then, dude, to just come out and just get smoked, like that is tough. I mean that that's that's pretty that's pretty disappointing. I think. Uh, maybe you could throw the maybe you could I don't know can you throw the Bills in there the disappointment loss to the Jaguars maybe it's know. tough though you're going overseas to London they've been yeah. there for a couple of weeks I I kind of want to go back to Colts the Colts paying Jonathan Taylor and then see <laughs> that's a disappointment Zach Moss I guess I mean what about the what about the Packers disappointment there Packers yes disappointment. disappointment but it's still road game on Monday night still though if you want to be a playoff team those you know you got to beat the Raiders Bro, you got to win on the road against the Raiders mm-hmm. I mean that's just I don't make the rules you just got to do that uh, Baltimore Ravens receivers yeah bad. big disappointment was bad. seven drops bad yeah really bad. and two of them were basically touchdowns there was the uh, uh, Rashad Bateman was literally in the end zone just dropped it and then there was yep. the Nelson Aguilar one where he would have scored. And he just straight up. Oh, future it. chief Nelson Aguilar. Oh yeah. Why future chief? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just, I'm just messing. Dude, with by you. the way, did you see today the uh, the Rams put like Van Jefferson on the trade block basically, I saw. and then they ended up trading him yep. to the Falcons of all team. Who the Falcons notoriously have like used all this like capital on being like we're gonna get these great skill players. We got Kyle Pitts, we got Drake London, and then they don't use them. So why? Are they like, hey, we're underusing what we currently have. Let's add more hey man, so we can underuse it. Kyle Pitts it. had seven catches for 87 yards. Yeah, finally. In the game. Finally, one good so, game. So, and then you throw in, like, 
I guess, hold on. We'll save that. We'll save that. Continue. Okay. Okay. Uh, on to the best ho-hum win. Who had the best ho-hum win? Uh, I think Miami probably had the best ho-hum win against the Giants. Yeah, not like, like a statement win, but you know, it took care of business. Still, yeah, I mean, you, you, your offense was explosive again. You did what you thought you were going to do. I do want to say this, though. Could you maybe argue the Chiefs here for best ho-hum win? You, maybe. You're on the road I mean, against the, fact the Minnesota that you had to deal with some injuries. not very good. You took care of business on the road. Kind of ho-hum, I feel like. Maybe. Okay, I'm just throwing it out there. I'm going to go with the Lions. Uh, Lions playing the Panthers, and, and you know, all, all the way through, it's felt like, okay, R- Lions are a pretty good team, but how good are they? You know, maybe they beat the good teams. Maybe they'll play bad to, or down to the bad teams. They did not do that. They, they played a bad Panthers team. They made them look bad. 42-24, to 24, never Chiefs, really in the game. We're going to play the Panthers this year. That would be the game where I might just take a nap. <laughs> I mean, I do not want to watch the Panthers at all. I don't have no interest. They're bad. I don't care about anything they do. Other than, okay, wait, pause. Other than Adam, Adam Thielen's on my fantasy team, I love that because he's been doing great. Other than that, I just literally do not care about the Panthers. Wow. Sorry, Panthers. That's pretty rude to uh, Bryce Young and the boys. No, but, um, yeah, Panthers are really bad. But they made them look bad, and that's the sign of a good team. It's not just about beating other good teams and beating other competent teams. When you're playing bad teams every now and then, like, blow them out. Show that they're bad. And uh, the Lions did that very ho-hum game. David Montgomery had 109 rushing yards. Uh, really impressive performance for the Lions, even without Jameer Gibbs. Who is your Week 2 offensive and defensive MVP? I think there's some good candidates for offensive MVP, actually. Uh, I think it could go with DJ Moore, three tuds on Thursday night. Could have been four if they didn't call him out of bounds. <laughs> uh, I think you could go with Tyreek Hill, 180 yards again, just doing his thing. Uh, I'm I'm going to go with Tyreek Hill, 180 yards and, and a touchdown for Tyreek Hill. And the reason I'm going with Tyreek Hill is here is because 180 yards and a touchdown, and that's just like another day. Mm-hmm. That, that's just another day for him. And so I want to shine some light on that. Like that, that should not just be another day. That's a that's a great day. Yeah, no, it was a, it was a very good day. Uh, I'm gonna go with Jamar Chase. Jamar Chase was unbelievable. Game without T. Higgins, Bengals are. If you lose that game at Arizona and you drop the one and four by losing to the the Cardinals, feels like you're kind of. I don't know how many times I got to tell you this. The Bengals are a playoff team. Okay, they we'll will see. Be in the playoffs, uh, he had 15. If he plays like this, they're certainly going to be 15 catches for 192 yards and three touchdowns. He hadn't been in the end zone before this game, and he uh, took over. And then my defensive MVP, I'm going to go with uh, T.J. Watt. T.J. Watt uh, and the Steelers' defense. I think he's the obvious choice. Yeah, I mean, they they held the Ravens to 10 points. And obviously, you know, I guess you could pick your defensive MVP again, the Baltimore receivers, for just messing everything up. But, man, T.J. Watt took advantage after the Ravens made mistakes. You still have to take advantage of those mistakes. And T.J. Watt did that. He only ended up with two tackles, so it doesn't look like crazy stat line. But both of them were sacks. And he also had two other pass deflections. And two quarterback hits. He also had a fumble recovery. Like, T.J. Watt was awesome. And uh, the Steelers, we talked about it on Friday. We said this felt like a game that you're like, yeah, but the Steelers can't really do anything on offense, but they just muck their way up to a win. And sure enough, that's what happened. Because Too bad I'm an idiot and didn't start the Steelers' D in fantasy. It is. Uh, Worst coaching decision uh, besides your coaching fantasy decision (laughs) to not start that. That's pretty bad. That's pretty high up there. Uh, I'm going to go to the Steelers here. The Steelers kneeling three times when they didn't have enough time to run the clock out. Incredibly stupid. They punted it back to the Ravens in a one-score game. I don't know why you didn't even... 
didn't even attempt to get the first down. <laughs> I mean, when you know, like seriously, when you know that kneeling three times is going to leave time on the clock, why would you not try to go get the first down? I don't understand. And I don't think it's being talked about enough either. Incredibly stupid. Also, Vikings had a bad had a bad had a series of bad decisions coaching wise. First of all, they very poorly used their timeouts in the second half. They challenged the Travis Kelsey catch that was pretty obviously a catch that I think they challenged too quickly and lost a timeout there. Yes. And that forced them into a sticky situation late in the game where they had they had to make a decision, right? Mm-hmm. Down by seven. It was fourth and eight, I think, right? And they could have kicked a field goal with like a little over four minutes left, but they had no timeouts. So all the Chiefs would have to do was get like two first downs and they would have won the game. Then said they go for it and they don't get it and they lose anyway. So uh, bad coaching decisions by the Vikings led up to that decision they had to make on that fourth down late in the game. So I would almost put that pretty high up there because, dude, your timeouts are very, very valuable and they just were very uh, lackadaisical with their timeout usage. And uh, shout out Andy Reid, who was great with his timeout usage. You know, I, I feel like the the Andy Reid doesn't know how to use timeouts narrative is kind of a thing of the past. Yeah, I will say there was one that he took like ten seconds too long to call it, but he did at least <laughs> get there. So uh, I guess give a little bit of credit there. Um, I really want to pick Mario Cristobal here because even though that was Miami and college football, and this is the NFL recap that. That was such a bad decision. It transcends all levels of football. But no, I'm going to actually, uh, I'll stick with NFL. I, w- I will be in the guidelines. You, you get to keep me in the box. Good Congratulations. Job. Good job. Um, Dennis Allen. This goes on deaf ears because, on deaf ears because Saints won 34-0. And I don't think a lot of people knew that this happened. And a lot of people probably weren't watching that game because it wasn't a very good game. I didn't and, know what happened. You know, it wasn't two like great teams that people are yearning for to watch. I mean, honestly, they, they probably switched away from the game. I guess so. Yeah. Uh, so Dennis Allen is the Saints head coach. Okay. There was a point where the Patriots completed a pass down the field. Okay. And on the same completion, the Saints were flagged. I forget if the flag was pass interference or if it was a, um, a like personal foul, like a roughing the passer type of foul. Okay. Either way, they would have been at like the same yard line, whether he caught it or they accepted the penalty or not. Oh, I see what you're saying. So Dennis- if it was like a P.I., then even if he even dropped if it, even it, it would have had the ball. Right? They would have the ball right there. Yes. Yeah. Dennis Allen decided to challenge if the guy caught it or not. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't matter. <laughs> what were you doing? They would have just accepted the penalty. Yes, exactly. Yeah. No, even if he bad. dropped it, they would have just taken the no, penalty. That is, that is bad. So dumb. Uh, okay, who is your uh, I think they're good? I think they're good. The Atlanta Falcons. Mm. I don't know. I think they might be kind of good, though. Okay. Um, I, I don't know. Desmond Ritter. I don't know that I'm buying Desmond Ritter, but... Bichon's, Finally passed the ball well. He had over Bichon's great. They have Kyle Pitts if they use him. Drake London's pretty good. Mm-hmm. The Falcons might be kind of good. And listen, I just want to I just want to clarify this. When I say this, I mean that the Falcons are like might be nine and eight, <laughs> but they play in the NFC South. Nine and eight win the division. is going to win the division mm-hmm. more than likely. So the Falcons, Loki, might be kind of good. Okay. Also, who's actually good? Jordan Love in the second half. Jordan Love has the highest EPA of any quarterback in the league in the second half of games. Wow. He's unstoppable in the second half. I believe. I think he was very stoppable last night. Highest (laughs) EPA in the league. Okay. Um, I think they're good, the Rams, but they keep losing every time they play decent teams, and it's getting harder to think this. Because it's like every week, like, okay, who who have they beaten? They beat the, uh, was it the Cardinals? The Rams? I don't even know. Yeah, who who did the Rams beat? Uh, week one, uh, Seahawks, and then I don't remember. Yeah, they, who beat they, beat. The, they beat. Didn't they? They beat the Seahawks badly. 
right? Yeah. They kind of blew them out. I guess the Seahawks have been good. That's their but only loss so far. So their three losses are what? The but Bengals, nine points to the Eagles. Like, they were kind the of Eagles. in the game, but, like, you know, the 49ers, it's like oh, they yeah, lost by seven. Yeah. They were kind of in the game, but they had to hit a field goal late to, to cover. Like, I, I don't know. They keep losing by not a lot, but a sizable enough margin that it's more than, like, one score to good teams. Yeah, and you figure that with Cooper Cup back, the more yeah. weeks they're, 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 they might come around. But they've got maybe. an above 500, or they got a below 500 record, so it's, like, it's hard to support it. To but say that they're good. I think they're good, I guess, but they keep losing. The, eventually, you got to win the games, right? Eventually, you do have to win. True, yeah. So, that is oh, important. Yeah. Uh, I think they suck. Uh, I think they suck the Broncos. Those boys stink. Which, by the way, this is gonna come back to bite me because on Thursday night it's gonna be like seventeen thirteen. <laughs> Russell Wilson's gonna have the ball, the chance to win the game against the Chiefs. But the Broncos suck, and then I know they suck. Jordan Love in the first half. Mm. Okay. So in the first half of games, so in the first half of games, uh-huh. Jordan Love is the worst quarterback in the league by EPA per play. Worst. Okay. Worse than Mac Jones. Wow. Worse than Kenny Pickett. Worse than some every worse other quarterback. The best. That is, uh, he is the worst crazy. quarterback in the league in the first half in EPA per play. Should in they... the second half, though, he's Tom Brady. Okay, honestly, like if you were a coach, should you view this as like I think you start... you know in baseball like certain guys are just they, they just can't closing. close and or, or vice close. versa. Yeah, right. You either you can pitch the eighth inning, but you can't pitch the ninth, <laughs> or you can pitch the ninth, but you struggle when you pitch the eighth. <laughs> should they start the backup that's, for the first that's half? That's exactly what I was going to say. Yes, start the backup in the first half. <laughs> And then bring Jordan Love out of the bullpen for the second half. <laughs> Do it. Um, I think they suck the Patriots, which I don't even know. Maybe that, maybe that's, that's I know that's, they I suck, know they honestly. Suck, yeah. They've been really bad the last couple weeks. Uh, more, I don't know, a, a little bigger. Quarterbacks with the last name Jones. Mac Jones. Daniel Jones. Oh, Daniel Jones. They're both really are bad. They, are those the only two Joneses? The only ones that I can think of. <laughs> Am I missing someone? I don't think so. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I think those are the oh, only two. Uh, Landry Jones, if we want to go with the past failed He's NFL quarterback. He's not even in the league anymore. Exactly. That's the problem. Well, that's because he was in. That's because he was at was Oklahoma he like, like XFL? 15 years ago. Okay. Well, uh, yeah, man. Uh, I guess don't draft quarterbacks with the last name Jones. All right, what's your uh, top three, bottom three? Top three. I mean, dude, I want to say the Chiefs are one so bad. Do it. But I got to go with the Niners. Yeah. I mean, they just beat the Cowboys by 100. Niners won. Chiefs. Eagles, I, I mean, they're undefeated. I have yeah. to put them in there, I guess. Eagles. I have the same top three as you. 49ers one, Chiefs two, Eagles three. Uh, bottom three, I think maybe a little tougher this week because the Bears won. Bottom I mean, the, the three. 32, I think we're going to be consensus Panthers, right? Yes. You could argue that the Giants and or the Patriots deserve to I be in here. I think 31 is Broncos. Okay. And I think but the Broncos 30, still beat the Bears. I think 30 is Patriots. Okay. I'm putting some stock You think in the, the Broncos win over the Bears was more fluky? You think if they played 10 times, the, the Bears, Bears win. win more? Yes. Huh? I know. I Could do be. That. I mean, the Bears were up, what, 28-7 yes. at one point? So that's yeah. fine. Yeah. I am going to go with the Broncos 30 and the Bears 31. And just outside okay. of the Giants and the Patriots. Okay. Yeah. All right. That's our uh, NFL Week 5 recap. Let's get to a Big 12 breakdown and then Kevin Flaherty after that. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to be joined by Kevin Flaherty coming up in less than 15 minutes from right now. First, we have to get to our Big 12 breakdown where we break down the Big 12. What like, happened over the break weekend? Break them down? Yeah, break like, them down. Break them down. Break them what? down like, like dancing, uh, like breaking down. Oh, I was thinking like break, dance. break them down emotionally. like oh. Just break them down. Like Bane break them Batman. down. Break his back in half. Okay, uh, who the heck break is the third down. best team in the Big 12? 
Kansas. That was an easy answer for you. All right, who's the fourth best team? <laughs> West Virginia? I mean, that's that that feels like the answer you almost have to give by default by right now, but I, mean, I don't want to give I, that answer. I, I feel like it's I feel like it's Kansas State, but I don't know, maybe not. Well, it's it's hard to pick K State too because you just lose to Oklahoma State and you know, no, you I lost know. to Missouri. No, I, but I, I do think Kansas stink. State. I still believe that Kansas State is going to finish around there. So I, I'd be I'll comfortable tell you exactly giving that. Gonna it's just, it's Kansas hard. State's going to go and beat Texas at Austin. I bet. <laughs> this is what they do. That that would actually make like a lot of sense. Actually, I thought the game was in uh, Manhattan. Nope. It's it not? is at Texas. Okay. Well, it's just funny because you can go through literally every team outside of Texas and Oklahoma who are the top two in the Big 12 and basically, like, shoot arrows through them. Because West Virginia, yeah. who currently is actually second in the Big 12, they're 2-0 in the Big 12, they're 4-1 overall. But it's like, so far, West Virginia, they, okay, they beat TCU. Well, turns out T- TCU might be bad. TCU stinks. Yeah. I, I mean, mean you're talking about a team like, that stinks. Right? Like, what, 13 to Iowa State? Um, yeah. I mean, which West, to be fair, you don't roll into Ames and get a W, but no, you don't. West Virginia, I don't know. I, I guess they're good. Iowa State right now is two and one in Big Twelve play. All right, they so lost to Ohio. Is Texas Tech kind of back? Are they finally living up to? Are they kind of back? I mean, if if we would have, if Texas Tech would have won that game in overtime against Wyoming, which is a good Wyoming team, would we be viewing them a lot differently? Because then the, four and two looks a lot different than three and three, especially because yeah. they're two and one in conference play. Yeah, maybe Texas yeah. Tech is still a top five team in the Big Twelve. Could be. Could BYU. Be. Now, obviously, they have they're rolling out uh, Baron Morton for the mm-hmm. time for the next probably. I think he's a former four star recruit. Yeah, I think yeah. Chuck's out for a while. Yeah. Um, so. I don't know. Does that does that put a cap on what Texas Tech maybe can maybe. be compared to the start of the season? I'm not sure, to be honest. Is Oklahoma State, if they beat Kansas, will we be having discussions that despite how bad they were in the non-con, that they could be one of the top three or four teams in the Big 12? Well, you look at their schedule, and remember, this was the big narrative to start the year, was that oh, Oklahoma State doesn't play anybody. They dodged all the good teams in the Big 12. Well... This, this is where it kind of comes back into play because if they do beat Kansas, they have a good chance to probably go on a little bit of a run, I would think, right? Because you will have then at that point beaten two teams that Kansas State, a team that everyone predicted was going to be in the top three in the Big 12, Kansas, a team that right now I, I would say is top three in the Big 12. You beat both those teams, you're back on track, and who knows at that point because your schedule is so is so cakey soft. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I, I I don't know. Maybe. Right. I mean, I think you have to consider it, right? Yeah, I think so. Uh, who would you say had best win this past week in the Big 12? The best win, I mean, I think it's, it's I mean, I think it's it's got to go to either Oklahoma or Kansas, right? Oklahoma's meant they are now a college football playoff contender and a national yeah. title contender. Yeah. So, from that standpoint, it makes sense. KU demolishing UCF. I mean, I guess you could what throw. What about Oklahoma State? That gave no, them life. That no, gave them life. No. If they lose to K State, they're two and three with as bad as they've looked. It's like Oklahoma does it seem State make did a not game? win the game. K State lost okay. the game. Uh, that's, uh, I think that's you could, fair. I would argue Texas assessment. Tech. I would argue Texas Tech because you want to talk about a team that their season is over. I mean, pack it in, call it a day, retire your program. Over if they lose to Baylor. See, I almost want to give Texas Tech worst win. Why? Baylor stinks, and I didn't know who else to pick. No, I think. I think the worst win could honestly go to Oklahoma State. 
because they they were they Oklahoma State. If you're watching the game, they did not do anything really spectacular. K State was just really bad. I would almost give it to Oklahoma State, honestly, for worst win. Okay, truly. Uh, what about best loss? It's got to be Texas, right? Best loss, Texas. I don't know that you could even argue for anyone else. Yeah, I think the spin zone you could argue for best loss for, uh, but I don't know. No, because you feel even worse actually. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think there's another team you. Can I was argue trying for. to spin it has zone to Texas. Well, I was thinking, you know, what if what if this like. What if this? What if Kansas State losing Oklahoma State like propels them and like resparks them and they I go guess. on a run and they they're ten and two at the end of the year? But then you'd look back and say, well, you lost to Oklahoma State and, one, yeah. and you could have gone, to, you could have yeah. like been a playoff team if you just don't suck for one game. No, it's got to be. So tactics. you can't really spin. I don't think you can really spin zone it into a positive. Right, because Oklahoma's good. It's a neutral site loss, and it's a game that honestly, like I. I feel like if Texas and OU play again, I would be picking Texas. Um, not that it couldn't go the other way, but. It took Texas being stopped about an inch shy of the goal line on one drive and then throwing an interception in the end zone or in the red zone yeah. on another drive. That, Which, listen, that's kind of been the one thing about Texas that's has. been their Achilles heel is they have not been very good in the red zone no. all season long. No, so maybe it is more repeatable than you'd think. But, yeah, I think, I think best loss has to be OU. Who had the worst loss? Uh, I guess you can argue worst? like everyone else. Yeah, Kansas State, TCU, UCF. Okay, so UCF. I don't think the Baylor loss is that bad because they just no. Just you, bad. you can argue K State because Oklahoma State hasn't been good to this point. I wouldn't though. Friday night in Stillwater, we knew Oklahoma State was going to probably pick somebody off. Over it's the a blackout season, right? at this Friday night game. Yeah, you could argue UCF by the nature of how it happened and by how many points they gave up, but also when you have your quarterback get hurt, you can sort of understand some of it. Um, you yeah. could argue Baylor because you would have thought they would have been able to at least keep it close. No. And they're really bad. I think TCU. Then. And then TCU because... But TCU on the road in Ames, like, that's not a game, like... No. But it's when you, you stack you thinking, up everything else with TCU. Were you thinking TCU going to Ames, that's like a guaranteed win for TCU? No. I was thinking it was a guaranteed... No. But also, like, when you stack it up, that to this point, TCU is now 3-3 three and three after going to the title game, starts to look kind of bad. But, I mean, listen, I think everybody knew that they were going to regress. Okay, is TCU going to make a bowl game? Here's their final six games. Versus BYU, at Kansas State... At Texas Tech versus Texas versus Baylor and at Oklahoma. I mean, they have to get a W against BYU. If they don't beat BYU, there's no way they're making a bowl game. <laughs> they and they could even beat BYU and not make a bowl game with that. Potentially, yeah. That is rough. That's crazy to go from national championship game to well, not even make a bowl game. TCU, the front half of their schedule was supposed to be the easy part of their yeah. schedule. 3-3. <laughs> 3-3. <laughs> That's brutal. All right. TCU, Brutality. I guess all right, we're going to get on to some Kevin Flaherty. We'll talk some more Big 12 football with Kevin, KU-UCF, KU-Oklahoma State, and plenty more with Kevin Flaherty on the other side. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. Depend on it. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We're joined now by Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports. Kansas takes down UCF 51-22. to uh, Kevin, what what did you come away from Saturday most impressed with about Kansas, and and was it enough to make you think they're the third best team in the Big Twelve behind only Texas and Oklahoma? Yeah, I think the the execution was the biggest part of it, and just what I mean by that because it's such a catch all all phrase. In this specific case, I think it was 
all of us knew that Kansas wanted to run the ball, right? Like, I, I think you knew it. I think I knew it. I think even Nick knew it. Um, but, you know, people in the stadium knew it. People around the stadium knew it. Swifties knew it. You know, everybody knew that Kansas wanted to run the football. And yet KU was able to line up and, and run the football. And, you know, the, the passing game was was efficient. You know, they were able to tap into it when they needed to. But for the most part, they just lined up and said, you know we want to run the football, we want to run the football, and you still can't stop us. And, you know, the I, I was trying to think of the last time that was the case for Kansas. You know what, Derek, maybe like 2008 against Kansas State maybe? Mm-hmm. With Jake like, Sharp like going off, yeah. Of, yeah, like in terms of just be, basically being able to line up and, and run the ball at, at will. And so it's been such a while, a long time, but Kansas had a game plan. They knew exactly what it was, and they still went out there and executed it and ran away from a UCF team that, quite frankly, you know, if you watch the game that they played against Kansas State, you know, that game was was in doubt at certain points, and UCF looked more athletic than Kansas State at certain points, and and Kansas, you know, really didn't have any issues with that over the course of the game and and pretty much had it put away by halftime, but certainly shortly after halftime as well. Yeah, it was it was uh, really impressive what we saw overall. And, and now I'm curious to see how they can translate that over putting on tape what they did running the football. I'd imagine Oklahoma State is going to spend a lot of time uh, making sure they try to stop the run. But we did see, you know, Kansas State did have over 200 yards rushing against Oklahoma State. I think South Alabama had near 250 uh, how do you kind of feel about the way this one could go on Saturday? Does it, does it feel like Oklahoma State has finally figured things out after their win over Kansas State? Just a weird win along the way. I, I guess how do you kind of see them matching up with uh, KU? Yeah, I, I think, you know, there are a couple things there. I, I think, one, Oklahoma State has figured some things out. Obviously, they're not still rotating through 32 quarterbacks. <laughs> So that's, you know, that that's a positive thing for them, you know, and they turned K-State over really well. I thought Kansas State looked kind of disinterested in that game for, for whatever reason. But even if, even if you take that out, I think one of the things that's positive for Kansas is you sort of look at that Oklahoma State team is if Kansas plays this game the way that I think they want to play it, the way that probably everybody thinks they want to play it, they aren't going to put the football at risk a whole lot. And you look at how big a role those turnovers played in Oklahoma State, you know, beating Kansas State. You're not going to see, I don't think, Jason Bean putting the ball in the air as much. I don't think you're going to see them putting the ball in danger as much. And Oklahoma State's got some really nice skill position talent still. You know, and if Alan Bowman plays well, this can still be a a tough game. But I do think – it's a situation where Kansas is potentially the better team up front on both ends, and and they probably aren't going to give Oklahoma State the same sort of opportunities that Kansas State did in terms of giving the ball away. Yeah, I'm really curious to that point about with, with Jason Bean is, do you think the game plan that K utilized against UCF, which was obviously you know just HB dive over and over again, is that a replicable game plan against other Big 12 opponents going forward on KU's schedule? Yeah, I think so, and I think it's really interesting to look at. I talked to a coach who's not an opposing coach, but let's just say a coach who who watches Kansas with interest. Okay. And one of one of the things that that they said was, 
basically, this is the most Buffalo-like Kansas team that Lance Leipold has had, and he didn't mean that as a as a knock or whatever else. What he was saying was basically, when you went and played Buffalo at the end of Lance Leipold's tenure there, you knew Buffalo was going to run the ball, right? Like, that was their game plan and everything else. The quarterback play was good, but it wasn't necessarily, hey, we're, we're absolutely terrified of, of the quarterback that Buffalo is going to bring to bear. It was more quarterback independent, I guess, or, or at least from a throwing standpoint. I know the quarterback still does a lot in terms of, you know, pre-snap management and, and things like that. But when you look at this team, I, I think they're more equipped to deal with an injury like what you saw with Jalen Daniels where he's been out for an extended period of time because they are going to be able to run the ball and run it with variety. And and the adjustments that defenses try to make to try and slow that down, I, I think Kansas has some counters built in to that. And I, I think you saw that when you saw that the way that Kansas ran the ball against Illinois was different than the way Kansas ran the ball against BYU. And it was different than the way that Kansas ran the ball against UCF. And even early against Texas, when you looked at the scripted part of the game, you know, Kansas was able to have some success running the ball. And so I do think that Kansas is at a point right now, the offensive line is playing at a really, you know, high level. The running backs have confidence and they're hitting the holes with confidence. And so I think it is a strategy that you can bring forward week to week with sort of some some minor tweaks here and there to exploit whatever defense you're facing that week. If this year's Kansas team played last year's Kansas team, what do you think the score of the game would be? How do you think that game would go? Is it uh, is it Jason Bean versus Jason Bean or Jalen Daniels versus Jalen Daniels? <laughs> I think whichever quarterback you pick from that year is the same quarterback the next year. So if it's if it's last year Jalen Daniels, it's this year Jalen Daniels. If it's last year's Jason Bean, it's this year's Jason Bean. Yeah, I mean, I, I definitely think this year's team wins in general. I mean, they're for the most part they're the same guys, but a year older, right? A year <laughs> a year better, a year better off in the weight room, a year more explosive, and I think that really speaks to what they've been able to do through the developmental phases of the program in the weight room and the offseason, and so I, I think this year's team would win. I think they're better at running the football, you know, that are deeper, I think, at different positions. I think that's a big part of the reason special teams are, are so good. We've talked about the fact that last year's special teams ranked 126th in the country, in SP Plus, do you guys know what they rank this year? I, I was looking earlier this week. Yeah, it's it's 10th. 10th. 10th in the country. So making a jump from literally being one of the, the five or, or seven or whatever worst special teams units in the entire country to top 10, that, that's a major change. And even defensively, you know, they've moved up 20 or 25 spots in those same categories. And so – when you look at this year's team, I think they're better, they're more balanced, and even the things that they do well, you know, both for last year's team and this year's team, they do better this year than they did last year. Talking with Kevin Flaherty of 24-7 Sports here on Rock Chalk Sports Talk. Uh, zooming out to some more conference stuff here, Oklahoma beats Texas uh, on Saturday. How, how serious are you taking Oklahoma not just as a college football playoff contender, because it's clear they're in that discussion now, but in terms of the national title race alongside the Georgias and Michigans of the world. 
You know, I, I don't know that I would quite put them in that discussion. I, I think, you know, and I was I was there on Saturday, you know, to to see Oklahoma play Texas and, and saw that game. There was a lot that went wrong for Texas in that game, and, and yet Texas still had the lead up until Oklahoma threw the game-winning touchdown pass with 15 seconds left, and Texas busted on a coverage to allow that, that touchdown pass. And I'm not saying that Oklahoma wouldn't win a rematch with Texas. I think I would favor Texas in that matchup. But I think when you compare Oklahoma to, you know, sort of the elite of the elites, I think they're still maybe a year away or so from having that that kind of talent to be able to stack up week to week. It could be a little bit like TCU a year ago, where TCU went to the college football playoff they beat Michigan, but then obviously were completely overmatched against Georgia. Like, I think Oklahoma could match up with a college football playoff caliber team, you know, in one game and win that one game. I just don't know that I trust this group to win two games in a row in that scenario. I just don't know that they quite have that. Yeah, and uh, how, how does that game adjust your expectations at all for Texas uh, after you know losing the game? But like you said, a lot of things went wrong, like being stopped and in short of one touchdown, having the turnover in the red zone, having the blown coverage at the end. How does all that affect uh, your thoughts about Texas? Does it at all? You know, it, it really doesn't. You know, you're going to have games where, where things go wrong. And if nothing else, you know, it, it was kind of funny hearing Steve Sarkeesian talk about in the post game, how proud he was of his team because they lost the turnover battle three to nothing. You know, they get stopped on a, on a goal line stand where it was first and goal from the one, you know, they wind up, uh, there's another play that a lot of people aren't even aware of because the broadcast didn't show it, but Quinn Ewers kind of rolled out of the pocket, had a wide receiver, or it may have been Jatavion Sanders just wide open for a touchdown didn't see him kind of threw the ball out of bounds or whatever. And so when you look at at all of those different things and still say, even with all of that going wrong, Texas still had a lead in the final two minutes against an undefeated Oklahoma team. You know, I don't know that you look at Texas, you know, that much more negatively from that point to say that even with all those things going wrong, they still played well enough to beat Oklahoma. They just didn't. When you're discussing uh, who the best teams in the Big 12 are outside of Oklahoma and Texas, it is a wide-open race for third place. is a wide-open race for the top five. If you had to fill out the top five in the Big 12 in any order, Oklahoma, Texas, who are the other three teams that you're putting in there? So here's the, here's the amazing thing, because I think there are two different discussions here, and I, I don't want to get too in the weeds. But I think that if you're talking about best, I, I think Kansas is in that discussion. I think Texas Tech is in that discussion. You know, I, I think there's a whole mess of teams kind of in that number five discussion. But if you're asking, you know, hey, who's most likely to finish third or fourth, have you guys looked at West Virginia's schedule the rest of the way? It's uh, it's open it, for them to make some noise. It is. It is. It is. Super manageable, and for those who are listening and don't have it in front of them, at Houston, Oklahoma State, at UCF, BYU, the really rough game comes, you know, obviously at Oklahoma, but then after that, you host Cincinnati, and you play at Baylor. And so when you look at the bottom of the conference, West Virginia is playing almost all of those teams, you know, still left to go on that schedule. I 
I think Kansas State can get into that mix as well. Uh, you know, they have things that go wrong now and then. We've talked on the show about the fact that the back end of their defense isn't nearly as good as it has been. But, you know, I don't think that I would pick West Virginia as like a top five Big 12 team in terms of, hey, here's how good this team is necessarily. But I do think that West Virginia, if you're looking at, hey, who's most likely to finish in the top five, they've got to be in that discussion because of that schedule they have the rest of the way. All right, I got uh, recruiting questions to finish things up here. Deshaun Warner got a offer from Ohio State the other day. Uh, that comes like a week after he got an offer from Michigan. He's committed to KU. Uh, because of some of these offers that are coming in, I can't remember the name of the kid who ended up flipping and going to like TCU and, and has been a good defensive end. Um, I don't know. I feel I feel like maybe some similarities there. W- would this become the biggest commit in the Lance Leipold era, knowing the way that Deshaun Warner is kind of skyrocketing here? You know, not necessarily. I mean, I, I do really like him. I I was a huge fan of Keon Coleman, who you're talking about. You know, I, I thought that Keon Coleman was the best pass rush prospect that, you know, I, I had seen Kansas get a commitment from in a long time, maybe, you know, maybe ever dating back. And it was funny because he wasn't necessarily, you know, he didn't have a ton of length and there were some different things there, but and he was just so dynamic, bending the edge. He goes to TCU, has what like double-digit sacks as a freshman, and you know, as a as a true freshman, is just a, and was an unbelievable player, and has since transferred out of there. I do think Warner is a guy that we, as a, as a recruiting industry, have had underrated, and I felt that for for quite a while. I I think all three of the kids that they have committed from Desert Edge are really really good and. When you look at, at Kamara, the linebacker from there, who was athletic enough that he played cornerback last year, um, he he's a guy that Michigan tried to come in on late. Kansas has like five guys committed who have offers from Michigan. It might be six or seven now, um, but when you when you look at the year that Warner's having, everybody's looking for for that kind of pass rusher, and and certainly he has the kind of offers that we haven't seen go to a guy that, that Kansas could potentially sign, you know, in, in a long time. You're talking about Ohio State, Michigan. He had a Texas offer before he committed, and, and Texas wasn't the only one. I mean, he had a lot of those kinds of offers. I do think that one of the things I'd say, too, is Kansas has, had been on those Desert Edge guys for a while, and they did a great job building relationships with their and I think even beyond that, the fact that they took three of those guys, I think makes it more likely for them to make it to National Signing Day as opposed to if you have a, a really high-level prospect, but it's just one guy from a school. You know, I think the three of those guys, you know, maybe tie each other up, and, and you know, they're they're a big part of of what Kansas is uh, is expecting to show up and, and sign in December. And uh, local prospect of the week time of the show here. Who uh, would that be for this week? Yeah, actually, I'm going to go with the guy that I'm going to see on Friday. Um, His name's Kyle Kia. He's a 2025 edge from Cape and Mount Carmel out of Wichita. I'm going to see him play against St. James Academy. He's about 6'4", 6'5", about 190, maybe up to 200 pounds now. 
I actually saw him in person at KU's camp over the summer. He came up with a big group of kids from Wichita and worked out. He worked out at linebacker at KU's camp, but he's put up some interesting testing numbers, and he's also a basketball player, you know, kind of a long kid. At Oklahoma State, he ran in the four sixes, you know, being that, that kind of tall of a guy. Oklahoma State wound up offering him after the first couple of games of his junior year this year, Iowa State just recently followed suit. And so I think that when you look at, you know, KU and K-State being the local schools, I think they're aware of him. I think they're going to pay a lot of attention there. I do think with Kia a little bit, you know, maybe it depends how many edge guys Kansas is, is going to take in that class. And also, you know, Kansas has really recruited another local edge in 2025, really, really well in Charlie Wolobin from DeSoto. And so is it the sort of thing where, where Kansas winds up offering Kyle? Is it the sort of thing where they kind of continue to roll with, with Charlie Wolobin having a strong shot uh, of getting Wolobin at that point? And then the other thing, just real quick to mention is, is, you know, I don't know if you guys have talked about it this week, Kansas had Jaden Woods on campus on Saturday, the number one player in the state for 2025 a four-star pass rusher from from Mill Valley who's got offers from everybody in the country, Alabama, you name it, he's got it. And so for, for him to come out to the game, I'm not saying Kansas is getting Jaden Woods, but obviously, you know, if you're getting that kid to come out to campus and, and you're continuing to recruit and build that relationship, then that's obviously another edge player to keep an eye on. He is Kevin Flaherty. You can check out his work at 24-7 Sports at KFlaherty247 on Twitter. Kevin, appreciate the time as always, man. All right, thanks a lot, guys. All right, two hours down. Five o'clock hour. This is RCST on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. And as we do on Tuesdays during the 5 o'clock hour, we're going to get to our Heroes and Villains segment for uh, the latest KU football game. Before we do that, though, just wanted to reiterate some of the uh, breaking news that happened earlier today. Or I guess, you know, I hesitate to say breaking news. Uh, it's basically the story that uh, tomorrow is the day to expect the official like punishment announcement, whatever you want to say from the IRP and the NCAA. Breaking news about breaking news. Now, tomorrow has a chance to be either a really sad day or a really relieving day of, like, it's finally over with. We don't have to worry about this anymore, right? Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Just get it over with. We'll see what happens. Uh, like I said, I, dude, this thing's been going on for six years. So I'll believe it when I actually see whatever the whatever they say, the IARP, or maybe they should start calling themselves the AARP because they're going to be without a job and retire. Zinger. Got him. <laughs> Okay. Uh, the like other bit of news was from uh, Pete Thamel, who reported that Jalen Daniels is doubtful for Saturday. Not that I don't know. I I, I feel like it. It's just a, it's it's not a surprise. I, I yeah. guess the way to put it. Yeah. Um. So there's that. All right. Let's get to heroes and villains. Let's start with our offensive heroes from KU UCF. Who is your offensive hero? I think my offensive hero is the KU offensive line. Mm. And by extension, the tight ends as well, because I just wanted to I wanted to throw them in there. Uh, so I don't know. Maybe I should just rephrase and say KU run blocking. Is that is that acceptable? You think? I, I think that's acceptable. If you had like to KU... pick one offensive lineman or one tight end, who would you go with? Oh, gotta be Jared Casey. Jared Casey. That's a, a good one. This dude's an animal. He just he just finds somebody wearing the other jersey downfield and just absolutely 
annihilates them. Well, it's not That's like he's he just like pancakes him where it's just like super obvious what he did, but he's always the key to the block and he yes. just does enough and it's just like, yes, it's he, awesome. He is always the linchpin of like pulling and, you know, making a, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, uh, by the way, had some good blocks. Well. He did. Yeah. I thought all the tight ends blocked super well. So I'm glad you brought those up. Uh, Michael Ford, by the way, had about an 88 run block grade that led the team and an 83 pass block grade on Pro Football Focus that led the team as well. So uh, Michael Ford probably deserves some uh, credit there too. Um, yeah, you know shout what? out the big boys. Since you picked a whole group, can I take my rock, paper, scissors? <laughs> Wait, I don't remember what that is. Rock, paper, scissors. Daniel Highshaw, rock. Oh. Dylan McDuffie, paper. See, the Devin name Neal, scissors. is so bad that I forgot. The, the nickname is so bad that I forgot what it was. No, it's okay. It just hasn't grown yet. It's coming. <laughs> just wait. Right now. We're starting it. Um, Devin Neal, 154 yeah, rushing yards, fine. touchdown. Daniel Highshaw, 134 rushing yards, two touchdowns. Dylan McDuffie, a 91 uh, rushing yards, two touchdowns. Total it all up, and um, the th- the three of them had 375 of the 399 rushing with five touchdowns. That's pretty good. Very good. Very That's good. Pretty good. And, like, yes, the blocking was obviously key to all of it, but, I mean, you, there were a lot of plays where they just made, like, a ton of guys miss. Just broke, like, a billion tackles. Yes. No, literally a billion tackles. Literally a billion? Oh, I, yeah. No, I was counting. Billion. I actually wonder, does does this have, like, broken tackles? In the- I'll be honest, though. I don't know if I can count to a billion. I, I don't think you could. That's, that's, a, that's a big I mean, number. it would take, like, a full year. <laughs> Maybe more. I don't know. Uh, yards after contact, though. Devin Neal of his, uh, what did I say? He had 154. 100, yeah. Of his 154 rushing yards, 75 were after first contact. Yeah, well, remember, he had a 75-yard run. I don't know. Did he get touched on that one, on the 75-yard I don't run? know that he did, to be honest. But it was great house. cutting. Um, yeah. Overall, of the Kansas 399 rushing yards, 185 came after contact. So both those numbers are really good. That means that they had uh, 214 yards before contact, which that's an insane number. And then also having 185 yards after contact is also an insane number. So, yes, I think both those would have to be the uh, yeah, heroes really of the game. But you could yeah. pick like Taiwan Berry Hill or something like that if you wanted to. Sure. Well, you said offensive. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah. Let's get to the uh, defensive heroes. Idiot. All right. Defense overly... now? Yeah. Defense. Defensive hero. I'm going to. There okay. goes my hero. So I don't know how the. I'm looking at the statue right now. Did they credit Austin Booker with the forced fumble on the fumble play? They should have. If they didn't, that would be a mistake. I'm looking at, I'm looking at it right Withers now. Withers was the one who recovered it. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go with Austin Booker. I mean, he is Superman. He can do it all. Guy's elite. He's a, he He's. Everything you could have dreamed of and more. Three hurries, the portal. sack. Yeah. What do you have, like four tackles, something like that? Yeah, four tackles. four tackles. F- four fumble. solo tackles, by the way. Two tackles for loss, a sack, the forced fumble, and uh, he just I, – I, you've almost went out of spur lifts to get this guy with how good he's been over the past month or so, basically. Yeah, it I mean, turns a phenomenal out. Phenomenal player. Austin Booker might be pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. He's my hero. <laughs> he's your hero. He's my hero. I'm going to go with Taiwan Berryhill, man. Um, yeah. Tywan Berryhill deserving. Yeah, he was great. He was hey, Tywan Berryhill's got a great superhero like story of or you know redemption arc. Mm-hmm. Right, tackled super well. He ended up with eight tackles that led KU. Had a sack. Had a tackle and a half for loss. He was just all over the field. Uh, I thought he looked a lot better in this game than uh, you know the previous game against Texas. 
And I was I was really impressed with uh, Tywan Berryhill because I, I did have some questions about him playing through the injury with other capable linebackers that KU had, but uh, I think he answered a lot of those questions. So Tywan Berryhill for me is the uh, defensive hero. Who is the special teams hero? I ask while knowing the answer. Mm, special teams hero is none other than blah, 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 Trevor Wilson. Seth Keller. Oh, <laughs> Owen P. Bergertis. Owen P. He did get a PAT. Owen P. Did he really? Well, I don't think I noticed that. He. Uh, I think he had the PAT guy that got blocked. Wait, really? Yeah, I think so. <laughs> so Owen Peeper Gertis yeah. had, had he was the one that had a block. Yeah. What? What? What are we doing? I don't remember to be honest. Or no, maybe it was. I don't. I don't know. Whatever. Okay. One of them had it blocked, but he did have a, a PAT attempt. I know that. Yeah, Trevor Wilson has to be the special teams hero. Yeah, hands down. I mean, Kenny Logan maybe, but when you have a guy return one for a touchdown, like, what are, what are you supposed to do? Not pick him? Right. Well, yeah, that would have been actually a fun. Okay, if hypothetically, if Kenny Logan wouldn't have been that? tripped up by his own teammate and would have scored a touchdown, which would we have picked? I think you still pick Kenny Logan. Or uh, tra- sorry, I Trevor think you still pick Trevor Wilson at that point. Maybe because of the time of the game, yeah. the roar of the crowd, the momentum. Yeah. But I don't know, man. The roar of the crowd might have been for Kenny Logan. Maybe might have been bigger. When was the Kenny Logan one? That was the second. It was half, later. Right? Yeah, it was after. It was later on. I think the Trevor Wilson one because it was earlier. I don't know. It's almost like. It was more impactful. It was it was at a time of the game where it was sure. maybe more no, in doubt. I'm not I'm not disputing that claim at all. That we would probably still pick Trevor Wilson. Okay, and then uh, who is the villain of this game? Mm. UCF fans <sighs> who just Central, touted, "Don't call us Central, Central Florida. Florida Don't call us Golden Knights. Golden Knights only to fans. lose by 29 points." Yeah, that's a pretty good one. Would be up there. Oh, uh, what the guy who got, tripped Kenny Logan? I was thinking the same thing. Which I I, I was can't thinking the guy who, who tripped Kenny Logan. I mean, that could be the the villain there. No, I was thinking. I was literally thinking the exact same thing. Uh, if we're talking like you know storylines where the villain just gets absolutely crushed, you could pick the the guy that got trucked by Daniel Highshaw as a okay. good villain. Okay. Because think about it, dude. When you get a villain who just gets absolutely annihilated, like just totally demolished, mm-hmm. destroyed, that's a pretty good villain. Yeah. Right. I mean, he served uh, his purpose as villain at that point. R.J. Harvey had 16 carries for 133 yards and a touchdown. A little bit of villain there. Yeah, there's some villainy going on there. Uh, I'm I'm tempted to go with whoever tripped up Kenny Logan. I <laughs> think <laughs> you kind of have to. I mean, I, I think that's pretty good because like the weather was great, obviously. So there was no villain from the weather. And while UCF fans are objectively annoying, I don't even think I saw any UCF fans. No, not a lot of statements. I, mean, I saw a couple, but it was very far. It was it was very few, very few. Because okay. I was at the game and in the stadium, and I didn't. I don't recall seeing hardly any mm-hmm. that even. I could have even said, I, you know, I wanted to find somebody to say, oh, Central Florida Golden Knight, I couldn't find him. I didn't know where they were. <laughs> you were searching. I mean, it's tough travel for them, you know? Oh, that's fair. I'm going to come from Florida. No, I know. What if that's the villain? Uh, Florida? No, just being travel? so far away in the same conference. Geography. <laughs> <laughs> geography. Well, I, you, can you pick geography as the villain when you're the home team? I guess not. UCF. You don't have to go anywhere. Kansas can't. Yeah, I think it's the guy who tripped up Kenny Logan. <laughs> Sorry. It just is. <laughs> All right. Uh, we're going to get to some Lance Leipold audio. He spoke with the media yesterday ahead of the Oklahoma State game this Saturday. We'll share that with you coming up on the other side. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN, KLWN.com, the KLWN app. Depend on it. Well, that's it. If you're listening on our podcast side, thanks for tuning in. Please give us a positive review if your platform allows you to do so, as you can find the show anywhere you get your podcasts with the best of RCST podcast. If you do have any questions for the show, whether 
it's for a mailbag, just something you think that would be fun to talk about, you can reach out to us on our Twitter page at RCST1320. You can also email us if you don't have Twitter. RCST1320AM at gmail.com. That's RCST1320AM at gmail.com. And if you want to listen live, 3 to 6 p.m. Central Time, Monday through Friday on KLWN, KLWN KLWN.com, and the KLWN app. Have a good rest of your day and see you next podcast.